hear that said many times whereby we can be saved. The scripture says whereby we must be saved. So it's all in the name of Jesus. It's not in the name of other gods. We know it's just one God and we know what his name is. And that's salvation. Regardless of how much they try to push this stuff on us that we're all worshiping different gods, but we're going to the same place. When they deny the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then they are denying the only means of salvation. And, of course, time's going to come when we'll have to suffer much for that name because all the rest of the world will be going after this interfaithism where everything is all right and just as long as we worship a God, that's all that matters. But all down through the scriptures from the Acts on through, it was the name of Jesus that stirred up individuals. It wasn't necessarily what they was doing, it was the name they was doing it in. Praise the Lord. Well, I fooled you. I'm going to preach. <laughs> so, okay. Turn with me to Ezekiel. You know what has happened as I brought my Bible up and God had laid a scripture in my spirit as I was coming up and I was looking for it and our pastor probably presumed I was burning for with a message which I wasn't <laughs> but he asked me if I had something if I did he really didn't have anything and I thought well I, I do have the thought and then I noticed with the thought I had jotted down some time ago Whenever I can and I get a thought, I try to write it down, and then uh, that way I don't forget it. Senior moments don't get a hold of me, and, and uh, they all come in handy, and usually they all work together sometime or other. Sometimes it's longer to bring them out, and I happen to think that I had had some notes that I had jotted down some time ago over a period of time in my Bible, and I went to get them, and of course this one scripture, of course, was in relationship to that. So we're going to read from Ezekiel. Ezekiel was, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, but Ezekiel was the sighing. S-I-G-H-I-N-G. Take a long breath and sigh, you know. He was wondering, of course, he was sent to see that the individuals, he was sent to the whole house of Israel where some of them was just sent to uh, Judah and some of them were sent to the ten tribes, but he was sent to the whole house of Israel and his job was to keep them informed during the dispersion of why they were there. So they wouldn't forget the fact that it was their treachery and their failure to identify with their God and uh, for their times when they turned themselves over to uh, other gods where they even sacrificed their children in fire. And God had told them through these prophets, all of them, that 
he wasn't going to put up with it, that he was going to uh, require at their hands. And so they just kept being disobedient, and finally he just dispersed them, some to Assyria and some later on to Babylon. And uh, he always seen to it that not only was there a dispersion, but he always seen to it that there was hope beyond this dispersion, and he didn't want them to forget the reason they were there, that he was not a sadistic God. Now, it was hard for the prophets of old to realize that they had been responsible for them being in captivity, and so uh, God was pretty fully aware that he they wasn't going to pass this down to their children, and so he... Uh, takes a prophet and sends it to them and reminds them ever so often that you're here because of your rebellion against God and also to offer them a hope that this was not going to last forever, that God was going to bring them out of it. And so Ezekiel was doing his best to do this and uh, I want to read from the 25th down through the 26th verse of Ezekiel and extract from that something that God gave me. I hope uh, be able through the anointing of God to pass it on to you. Now Ezekiel was speaking and he says, But thou profane wicked prince of Israel, talking about Jedekiah, whose day is come, when iniquity shall have an end. Then saith the Lord God, Remove the diadem, take off the crown, this shall not be the same, exalt him that is low, and abase him that is high. Of course, there's a message in that concerning Israel and who was counted as low and who was counted as high, but that's not the purpose of my message tonight. The near reference, of course, indicates that unfaithful Zedekiah had had his day. He was supposed to be representing Israel in his time, and he'd had his day in the time of iniquity, and transgressions was coming to an end. In other words, Zedekiah's rulership was at an end. And of course, when you read through that, you will see that God's promises are sure and steadfast. This is chapter 21, chapter 21 of Ezekiel, 25 and 26 verse. It's, it's good reading all the way through. So if you would like to just uh, study Ezekiel, and uh, you'll see in there some of the times why he's called the sighing prophet. He just kind of sighs at their unbelief and their failure to listen. You know, kind of like some of us ministers kind of sigh a little bit, and I thought as they was talking about their kids in the Sunday school class, whether they uh, listened or whether they didn't, that's good for kids, but when you're speaking to supposedly adults, and then you wonder whether they're getting hold of anything or not, that's trying, but God didn't tell you to make your Sunday school kids to believe and listen, he told you to present it, and he tells us the same thing, he don't Tell us to make you listen. We just present it 
in such a way that it would be fruitful to you. And of course, if it is, why you listen and you're profitable in that. And if not, of course, then you're in for problems. But I don't want to talk about the near reference. That has already happened. There's a lesson in that. But also, as you look at that, there was a far reference to the prince of this world. Not only was God through Ezekiel talking to Zedekiah at the present time, he was also looking spiritually to the prince of this world, the power of darkness. When he said those words, Thou profane and wicked prince of Israel, whose day is come when iniquity shall have an end, remove the diadem and take off the crown. Now, ever since the fall of Adam, man has been bent low under the oppressive iron hand of the oppressor Satan, who through his cunningness wrested the rulership from man that day in the Garden of Eden when Adam disobeyed God at the suggestion of the enemy, and then, of course, Adam was not ruler anymore. Satan become the ruler of this world. We should know that. The apostles and the prophets carried on down until Jesus came. And Ephesians 2.2 describes Satan as the prince of the powers of the air. And in Ephesians 6.12 describes Satan as his imps and rulers of the darkness of this world. Remember the Apostle Paul said, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of darkness of this world in high places. In other words, the enemy is seeking to control our minds. If he controls our minds, he controls our life. If he can get us to think ungodly thoughts, then he gets us to do ungodly deeds. If it can keep our mind off of Jesus, then our mind is upon other things and worldly things. And Paul says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We could do that. Somebody comes up and uh, says something to you, and you could hit him in the nose if you wanted to. But you can't do that to Satan because you can't see him. But through the power of God, you can deliver him a knockout blow. And even in St. Luke, Luke, the 22nd chapter, 53rd verse, Jesus himself stipulated that Satan was ruler when he said, This is your hour, the power of darkness. So it is very plain that since the fall, man has been the servant of Satan and the servant of sin. You see, when the law was given by Moses, it held no fear for Satan. Satan wasn't worried about that, for he knew that this law only commanded, but it didn't give any power to obey that command. All it did was to push the sins forward, but Satan wasn't worried about that. His worry was the present time. And uh, so that didn't scare him at all. And the sacrifices of bulls and goats meant nothing to him because he knew there was no power 
of atonement in those things. And so that didn't discourage him or weary him in the least. But Ezekiel had a message for him. Prophecy is true. There would come a time when Satan would be forced to remove the diadem and take off the crown. There would be a time when he would not be ruler of mankind anymore. There's coming a time with that in the natural. But at Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, ascension into heaven, that time come for Christian people. That's what Jesus was saying when he said in St. John 12, 31 and 32, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And then he says, This is how it's going to be. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Everyone that had been captive of the enemy, when they see Jesus lifted up on the cross, giving His life for them, He's drawing them unto Him. And soon now, as far as Christians is concerned, Satan had to take off the diadem and remove the crown because he shouldn't rule in their lives any longer. Thank God for victory. Woo, hallelujah. Well, I can preach, can't I? I don't have to preach. All right, there is a divine decree, and we've said this so often, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But against that divine decree, as we know, in the heavenly language that we all know, comes a voice of the sacrificed Lamb of Calvary that says, This is my blood which is shed for the remission of your sins. In other words, he was saying, Satan, who have, we who have uh, been by the blood of Jesus Christ, he was saying to Satan, you don't rule there anymore. Hallelujah. You've got to take off the diadem. You've got to remove the crown. Because I am the ruler in these blood-bought Christians and blood-bought lives. And I thank God again for Jesus Christ, my Savior and my God, my Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I thank God that He saw the time when he was going to need redemption for his people. And redemption came. And I am one that has availed myself of the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. And realized God is my ruler, not Satan. And God rules in my life. Ruler Satan was cast down that day on the cross of Calvary to individual Christian lives. And to whosoever will, let him come and drink of the waters of life freely. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Satan trembled. Hallelujah. There's just one thing that can make Satan tremble. And that's the voice of Jesus. 
That's the voice of God. You say, can't we? Yes. When we speak under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, that's the voice of God. It's not us speaking. We have no power at all, other as we're energized by the Holy Ghost. And of course, if we are, that's God's Word. And Satan trembles when we use the Word of God on him. He don't like it. And he's afraid of it. He's always been afraid of it. Thank God. Comes from on high, we move the diadem. Hallelujah. Take off the crown. <laughs> Thank God. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And he's saying, as I overcame the world, even so can you. And when you do that, Satan has to throw his crown down and you have to realize he doesn't rule you anymore. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.8, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Of the many gifts that God has ever given, life was one of the greatest ones. And when he said he led captivity captive, he meant exactly what he said. He took it captive to you and I that believe. In Colossians 2, 14, 15, says blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Hallelujah, the cross. Hallelujah, the cross of Calvary, which is redemption of every life and every heart. And Jesus said, I led captivity captive. I took it captive. And I took out of the way all of those, uh, uh, all of those handwritings that was against you. And I nailed them on the cross. And I answered the sin question. Hallelujah. If you will notice, in verse 15, he says, And having spoiled principalities and power, he made a shoe of them openly, tramping over them in it. Now, I don't know that you maybe can remember at the fall of Japan. If you can't, let me remind you of something that happened. Japan had to surrender unconditionally. There wasn't any conditions accepted. They were defeated. They didn't know what was going to happen where the next bomb fell. And so they had to accept unconditional surrender. And when they did, Douglas MacArthur met with the Emperor of Japan and they stood with his army that was left behind him, and he stripped him of every significant thing that was on him. He stripped him of all the medals. He stripped him of the authority of the emperor 
that emperor stood there with all his power that had been divested in him and Douglas MacArthur stripped him of all of that. What are you saying, Brother Hoskell? I'm saying that when Jesus come, mounted the cross of sin and shame, he stood before the enemy and divested him of all the power that he ever had over humanity. And we have been redeemed. We have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, saved and sanctified I am. Glory. Hallelujah. I gotta walk a while. I gotta walk a while. Hallelujah for the redemptive blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, Satan, take notice. These are blood bought. I led you captive. I gave them gifts with his life. And that more abundantly. And I now take off anything from you that ever represented any power that you had over them. And Satan stood there realizing in the spirit the blood-bought individuals he had been divested of all the power that he'd ever had. Remove the diadem. Take off the crown. Hallelujah. You don't rule them anymore. Oh, we should take note of that. When Satan comes and says, Did you know? Do you understand? Don't you know that I'm still ruler? Don't you understand that? Well, as far as this outside world is concerned, but I found out something. He don't rule me. Hallelujah. He shouldn't rule you. And we have the victory over him, which is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So spiritually, we're in good shape. The blood, the blood, it's never lost its power. Hallelujah. What that blood that flowed, every last ounce of blood that he had, which was that divine blood of God, hallelujah, never tainted, no sin at all in it at all, because it was God's precious blood, and Jesus walked, not contrary to God's will, but with God's will, had made the perfect sacrifice. Satan tried his best to destroy him, but Jesus put his eyes to the future and walked that road for him, no sir, for you and for me. God is here tonight at the first apostolic church in New Heaven. He looked down with his eyes through the centuries of time and he saw you sitting here and knew that you needed victory and you couldn't have it by yourself. And so he redeemed you. 
Ooh, hallelujah. Redemption came in the form of Jesus Christ. And so, spiritually speaking, we're in good shape. Hallelujah. Did you ever notice, though, it was our spirit that was redeemed? This mind? Why, what did Jesus say? Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. That's up to us to utilize the power God has given us and allow this mind to think like the mind of Jesus. Otherwise than that, it's going to still think just like old Adam's mind. And also, we're waiting for one of the greatest victories, greater than anything man has ever seen. I have to turn you. I have to turn you to Romans. The eighth chapter. You know this. Yes, you do. You know this. The Apostle Paul, if so be that he wrote Romans, and I believe with all my spirit that he did, is adding something else to the redemption of our spirit. Something we all, who have lost loved ones and have loved friends and loved ones passed on before, are waiting for, yet. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul speaking. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy in comparison to what is going to be revealed in us. Okay? For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. But the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. 
there's something lacking, Paul says. Even with the redemption of our spirit and our soul, there's something that mankind is waiting for. Hallelujah. Something I'm waiting for. Something you're waiting for. Something that those that have gone on before had waited for. And Paul was letting them know that if God fulfilled on the cross that one redemptive part of you, He was going to finish the job. Whatsoever He said, I have begun a good work in you, I am able to finish it. What greater work there is than redemption of our spirit inside. A good work. But He said, I've begun that. I can finish it too. And so He writes, whole creation, Whole creation, all creation. From the beginning of man to our day, and even beyond our day if necessary, travaileth in pain until now. Yeah, Paul was saying, at his time, he was gifted, redeemed, kept his mind under control of God. His spirit and his mind was God's. But this little fellow suffered somewhat in the flesh. And he was paining. And he was losing brothers and sisters. People were dying. You know where I'm going? People were dying there. He said, travaileth in pain together until now. Even now. When the greatest period of the gospel being ministered was still there at that time, he said, there's something that man hasn't received yet. And so he said, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Something, even with that glorious shed blood, something even with that precious, When he said, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Hallelujah, the King of glory shall come in. Lift up your heads, and are bowed down. Hallelujah. Everlasting doors had sought to close out everything that God has. 
get out of the way. Gates open because the King of glory is going to come in. Hallelujah. Who is this King of glory? Verse 10, the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The last stronghold of Satan is subdued. Remove that which designates you as ruler. I divest all of that from you. I take it all off now. You just don't rule here anymore. And the Bible says he was taken and bound for a thousand years. Where God, through Jesus Christ, ruled and reigned for a thousand years. And then Satan was loosed for a little bit. And of course, his redeemed of all ages didn't have to do anything. He said, I'll take care of this one. I'll handle this dude by myself now. And so he binds him hand and foot and casts him into the lake of fire. And he is no problem to mankind anymore. The complete redemption of humanity since his fall. Aren't you glad for Jesus? Remove the diadem. Take off the crown Ezekiel was saying back then to the enemy, your time's coming. Your time's coming. Satan would laugh at him and say, don't worry me. When Moses wrote the Ten Commandments, that bother me. It didn't bother me when God said, just take the bulls, blood of bulls and goats, and all of that, that don't bother me. But when Jesus headed toward Gethsemane, that bothered him. He knew who he was, but what he thought, if I can get him to kill himself before Calvary's tree, Nothing can be accomplished. You see, prophecy said what he had to do. If I be lifted up, they could have thrust him off the cliff. They could have killed him anyway. But Jesus trudged on 
to Calvary Hill and finally that sadistic hand of man finally brought him to the final analysis of his victory as he submitted himself to those hands and calmly gave up the ghost. And then Satan really trembled. Do you know why he bothers you so much? Because God's word dwells in you. And if you ever dare to speak to his word, God's word to him, he's afraid of it. That's why he don't want you to say anything. That's why he keeps you quiet. That's why he don't let you witness. That's why he don't want you to glorify him. It's because that makes him afraid of you. Because of what dwells in you. Because he recognized this was redemption of your spirit. I love him. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you lift up your hands and say, God, thank you for the redemption of the spirit. And if you redeem that, I know there's a redemption of the body. Hallelujah. And I'm going to stay true to you until I receive that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah.